Amen. So this morning, the, the, the heart, the, 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 the focus is this once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. We see this refrain in, in, in the latter part of chapter 9 and, and chapter 10. And I'll hit a couple other verses that I didn't, didn't read this morning. But, but the significance of what that is and, and why Jesus had to shed his own blood for us. Like, what, what is that? And I know when we talk about the blood of Jesus and, and we talk about sacrifice, that's where people want to check out. Um, it's also why when I do a membership interview with you, one of the questions I'll ask you often is, hey, if you were talking to a friend, a family, a coworker, a neighbor, and they came up to you and they said, hey, I don't understand why your whole religion or your whole thing that you believe, what's the deal with the blood? What's the deal with, with God having to sacrifice himself and all the blood and the guts and the evil and all that? It just seems like if God is God, why can't he just forgive us and, and just wave forgiveness on all of us? It just seems a bit much for our modern sensibilities. Um, and it is hard, right? It's, it's hard for us even as believers to say, okay, how does this work? Why, why did this have to, to happen? And I, I ran across a quote uh, this week, which I, I think is interesting. And this is from an atheist um, named Bob Seidensticker. Um, he's kind of a very vocal atheist, as most a- atheists are. I haven't met really a humble one. Um, but, but, but kind of controversial. And, uh, and Patheos.com, he, he wrote this. This is the 21st century. Must Iron Age customs persist so that we need a human sacrifice? If God loves us deeply and he wants to forgive us, couldn't he just forgive us? That's how we do it. And that's the lesson we get from the parable of the prodigal son, where the father forgives the son even after being wronged by him. Is that the standard of mercy? Why can't God follow it? Since God is so much greater a being than a human, wouldn't he be that much more understanding and willing to forgive? And, and, and I can sympathize with that, right? I mean, can't God just forgive? I mean, what, why blood? Why this sacrifice? It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. I mean, if God's God, just forgive us, right? But what happens is if, one, is you have to look at the scriptures, that the scriptures actually tell us why he does that. And there's a whole redemptive history that's moving somewhere. So we can't just make these blanket statements and say, well, God can just forgive, right? You don't feel the weight and the depth of what sin is. You don't feel the weight and depth of what a sacrifice is and why even in the Old Testament they had to do these animal sacrifices. Because it wasn't just a bunch of nice, good, moral people living their lives and God just needs to kind of throw them a forgiveness bone. There's a stain that goes deeper that none of us can wash away, that none of us can deal with. And that's why the world is the way it is. There's something deeper going on uh, here. And so there's a necessity of this once and for all blood sacrifice with God. Because without blood, there is no covenant uh, with God. There is no relationship with God. There is no forgiveness of sins with God. So for a few moments here this morning, I want to look at the kind of the, the unique purpose of this sacrifice I want to look at the, the unrepeatable nature of the sacrifice. I want to look at the unimaginable depth and cost of the sacrifice. And I want to look at its transforming effect uh, for us this morning. I know that was a mouthful. But, but let's look at the, first the unique purpose of this sacrifice that Jesus makes on the, the cross. Now, I, I didn't read this this morning. I read this last week. But if you jump up just a couple of verses in chapter 9 to verse 12, notice what, it, what the writer says. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so, so when we look at the unique purpose of this, this sacrifice, what it's already said is that the sacrificial system of the Old Testament is insufficient. It's not worthy. It's not good enough, right? The, the, the bringing of goats and bulls and sprinkling this blood in the Old Testament, when they would uh, atone for sins, they would have to bring up the animals and slaughter them and lay them on the altars and, and cover the, 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 the Holy of Holies and, and purify the sins of the people. And they'd have to come and do this time and time again. But what the writer is saying is that there's someone who's come from eternity past that's not bound in by time or space, Jesus Christ, whose own blood is the only sufficient sacrifice, that it comes from outside us. It comes from somewhere else. It's God's initiative. It's God's doing. The the sacrifices of bulls and calves would be insufficient because you'd have to keep doing it time and time again. Again, right? Because we just sin again. And so we have to make another sacrifice. And and so the the unique purpose of the cross was, and and Jesus coming, is that the the sacrificial system is just not sufficient. And guess what? That's the way it always was. Sorry, um, I can't never say his last name, Sidon Sticker. That all of redemption history was moving somewhere. So you can see the cross and look at the cross and see Jesus with his arms stretched out, dying for our sins. Why can't he just forgive us? Why is this happening? But if you go back to redemptive history and you say, look at this sacrificial system. There was a time and place where where people wanted to enter into the presence of God, but we can't enter into the presence of God. Why? Because we're sinful and we're dirty and defiled. So the only way to enter into the presence of God is a sacrifice has to be made. A purification, a cleansing has to be made because we're not dealing with just another Messiah among the Messiahs. We're dealing with God, a holy God, a pure God, a righteous God. That's why in the Old Testament, whenever God came near, what happened? Everyone ducked, right? Everyone got in the way. You couldn't stand in the presence of God without being destroyed. Even Moses, right? Moses only got to see the the backside, the behind of God, because he would be blown away by the brilliance and mercy of God. Why? Because he's just a human and he's sinful. So there has to be a way for us to enter into this presence and the sacrificial system was not sufficient and that's what the writer wants to make clear that's why this the the death of jesus and the blood sacrifice of jesus is unique but also notice what what else it does and why it kind of hints towards why the sacrificial system is not not unique enough and not sufficient enough i should say is notice how it's unique because it deals with our conscience it deals with our conscience notice in verse 14 How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Jump down with me to chapter 10, verse 22. Let us us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Interesting. So, so what's the writer saying here? Well, he's saying that there's this unique purpose because the sacrificial system's not sufficient, but also what's not sufficient with the sacrificial system is it doesn't deal with the insides of us, the conscience, the inner part of us, because all of us have this evil, guilty conscience. Now, a lot of us would say, I mean, I should say maybe in our culture, we say, well, no one can make me feel guilty. 
right? No one's going to, God's not going to tell me to feel guilty. I, I decide what, what's right, what's wrong. Nobody from the outside can feel guilty. But if you have children, you know from a very young age, there's already this sense of guilt. There's this, this conscience, this thing of right and wrong. Like, where does that come from? That's actually a question that atheists can't really answer. What, why, why do good then? Why, why, even, why not just jump out a window? Because, because the reality is, why do we want to do any good in the world? Because there's a sense that something's wrong, something's off. We have to make things right in the world. Whether that's relationally or whether that's on, on a big level justice issue, there's just this kind of gnawing in our souls. Why do we go to work? Why do we raise kids? Why do we do anything? Because there's just this sense of like, things are just off and somehow we just have to make things right. It's this inner part of us. The Old Testament sacrificial system didn't deal with the conscience, the inside part. This conviction that, that I'm guilty, that I, that I need cleansing, I need forgiveness, I need things to be right. Now, if, if we could break down what con- our conscience is, it's really how we fit in the presence of another person, God or human. It, it's when you have this sense of, I'm not fit to stand before you. This sense of I've done something wrong. Now, this is really hard to, for me to kind of uh, conceptualize, so I'm going to use my friend Greg Parker. Um, um, excuse me, not Parker, Park uh, from middle school. Um, Greg Parker actually, well, no, is that Spider-Man? No, it's not Spider-Man. Uh, Peter Parker. Um, but Greg Park was a friend of mine in middle school. And this shows you that God uh, hadn't dealt with me yet. Uh, but I, I'm old enough where you'd actually trade uh, baseball cards and sporting cards, anybody? Amen? Anybody to that? Into the, into the sporting cards? We were actually talking about this this morning. Um, and, and now kids trade Pokemon. Just not... What, what is this? What are we doing? Um, but, but we were really into, into trading cards. So we used to be on the bus... And we have this big box of trading cards. And I remember Greg Park, because he, he was a rich kid, and he had the good cards. And uh, so I used to go through his box. And uh, I'm just, just confession time. Um, I've, I've repented before the Lord. Uh, but I used to steal his cards, his good ones. Uh, so I'd have my really bad ones, and I'd just kind of look through, and I'd just kind of stick one here, stick one here. And, and I would do this for weeks and weeks in the back of the bus, right? And, and he was my friend. Like, we were good buddies. We'd hang out and, and do things together. But I would be stealing Greg Park's uh, good, you know, Jose Canseco rookie card, whatever. You know, whatever uh, in the 80s, whatever was the, the big card then. But I remember over time, what happened was I had a hard time being in his presence because there was a sense of guilt, there's a sense of, it's really hard being your friend. I'm not telling him that, but inside, I'm dying on the inside, right? I'm knowing I'm stealing his Ken Griffey Jr. You know, rookie card. I'm stealing his Jose Canseco. And I'm like, this is my friend. And there came to a point where I broke down. Hey, man, here's the deal. You're probably wondering how I got all the you know, good cards. Well, surprise, they're your cards. It happens all the time. I've seen it with my kids. I won't say who they are, but, but you know, there's a point where they've done something wrong and they just feel this sense of guilt or they feel this sense of shame like, hey, mom or dad, I, I did this thing. I just want to tell you that. Because we're not fit to be in the presence. We feel this, this wall, this invisible weight, right? You ever had a fight with your wife? I know none of you fight with your wives or your husbands. But let's just say for sake of argument that you've had a, a disagreement at one point or another. And you don't deal with that disagreement. What happens? It's really hard to be in their presence, isn't it? Because you know there's something off. Can we talk about this? Hey, I'm sorry. There's just a wall. There's a sense, right? Now, ramp that up a million times over to a holy, perfect, loving God. We're not fit to be 
in his presence because we know in our honest moments all fall short of the glory of God. All have made a mess of things. Which is crazy in our culture to think like, oh, we're we're just good people that have a bad day. Really? You're just not self-aware then. Just a bad day? Like, I mean, if, if you could, could list out all the thoughts that you've had today just about your coworkers on a Monday, if you could think about the thoughts you've had of your, your wife and your spouse or your kids or, or things that, 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 that have crept in, we'd say, none of us can stand. Have we loved God with all of our hearts, minds, souls, and strength? Have we loved our neighbors as ourselves? If that's the barometer, man, we are woefully fallen short of what God commands but what's unique about the sacrifice is that it wasn't just about the Old Testament or sacrificial sin. It was about these external you know, acts of, of sacrificing animals and, and having cleansing for a moment. But what's beautiful about Christ's redemption is he deals with our conscience and our guilt. That it's by works we can stand, by his works we can stand cleansed, forgiven. That we look to him. We don't have to live with a guilty conscience anymore. There's forgiveness to be had. Amen that he became our guilt offering for us. So, so that's why this is unique in every way, this unique purpose of this once and for all sacrifice. It deals with, with, with these sacrifices that are insufficient, but also the inner workings of us. And also, I think what's so beautiful about why this sacrifice is, is unique is because it also offers us assurance. Now, notice in verse 24, 924. It says, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Did you catch that little phrase? Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus has gone before us. He came down from heaven from eternity past, has always been the, the existent God, the creator God, the redeemer God. The, 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 the Old Testament sacrificial system was always going to be a pointer to this Messiah was come, but he's gone before us into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God so that we could have assurance that, that our salvation, our life in him, this covenant with him is secure. Why? Because he's gone ahead of us, for us, so that we can look to him to know that One, this Old Testament sacrificial system or any kind of system we create of our own because we all do it, right? I'm a good person because I recycle. I'm a good person because I care about the environment. I'm a good person because I'm I'm nice to whoever, you know, whatever it is. We we create all these sacrificial systems of of ways of, of being right before God, of being good before God. And yet Jesus goes before us and says, none of those things are gonna be sufficient. They're all filthy rags to me. He's gone before us into heaven. To say, that's yours. I've secured it for you. There is no more sacrifice to be made. You know how much good news that is? Like every day of your life, you are, I love what Blaine always says, he calls us God's kids. Like we're, we're God's children. You, you, your, your dad doesn't bail, at least good ones don't bail on you when you do something wrong. Like I love my kids. There, there are two of them already here, right? Dad doesn't bail on you when you, you, you fail or do something wrong, does he? He's still around. I know he's annoying and he has bad dad jokes. I, you know that. That's just part of the package deal. But you love them regardless, not by what they do, but that's what God and that's what Christ does. That's why this sacrifice is so unique, is that the author and perfecter of our faith has gone before us and now he intercedes and mediates for us. So we look to him. I mean, you could summarize all of Hebrews. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. 
because he's sufficient, he's unique in every way. His sacrifice is enough for us today. Now, there's also another piece of this is the unrepeatable nature of this sacrifice. That that Jesus was a once and for all sacrifice, unlike the Old Testament sacrificial system. Isn't that the worst part of the sacrificial system? Is that every Sunday we'd have to come together and we'd have to bring our, our, our goat, our unblemished lamb. And then, you know, on the Day of Atonement, once a year, you know, for all the people, we'd have to bring all these sacrifices, have this big feast. But then guess what? Well, evil and sin had come again, so we got to come and do it again over and over again. Notice what it says in, in 25, uh, 925. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. So he makes a dichotomy here. These human priests had to bring the blood of, of the animal to the, to the tabernacle, to the Holy of Holies, and sacrifice it every single year. But now Jesus' blood is that once and for all. There's no repeat sacrifice here. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as he appeared once and for all, the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as is a appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time not to deal with sin but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him that's a huge statement the second coming of Christ has nothing to do with has nothing to do with forgiveness of sins it's full salvation it's already been done when he comes again it's to secure what has already been given right that's an amazing text there there's no sacrifice to be done. Jesus doesn't need to die again. There is, there is nothing that's going. It's already been done. So when he comes, he's coming to get us, to redeem us, to restore the whole thing and the whole universe. And so this, there's an unrepeatable nature that the, the Old Testament sacrifice wasn't sufficient, but it's this once and for all. There's no priest that has to come and continually sacrifice themselves or sacrifice for the people. Jesus becomes our priest. He becomes our prophet. He becomes our king. You know, some in, in Catholic Mass, they believe that, that the Mass is actually kind of a, a re-sacrificing of Christ. They say, no, 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 read Hebrews. How dare we minimize the cross in that way? Nothing against Catholics. I know we have a lot of recovering Catholics in here. But that's not what we believe as, as Protestant people, as gospel people. You don't need to sacrifice again. That's crazy talk. It, it, it may sound good on paper. It may say, well, we're, you know, we're holy and we're going to come and we're going to do the supper and, and re-sacrifice Christ. No. Hebrews saying, no, 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 that's old school. That's Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. That's not what we're called to be. And even in some Protestant circles, they see the Lord's Supper as a re-sacrificing of Christ. No way. It's a celebration of what's already been completed. His, his body broken, his blood shed. It should be, services should be a great celebration, not a, a re-sacrificing of Christ, not a memorial to a dead deity. He's the living Christ. He's the creator God. He's the redeemer sitting at the right hand of God. And you remember last week why he sits down? Because it's finished. It's done. It's absolutely finished and completed. There's nothing that we could do to add to it. There's nothing he needs to do to add to it. It is finito. Done. Thank you, Terry. It's, there's an unrepeatable nature of this sacrifice. Now, remember the context of Hebrews. This is a persecuted people. They're losing their lives. They're losing their homes. Think about how great news this was. So something's going on here where they're feeling like maybe because everything's falling apart in the world and everything's falling apart in our lives, maybe we need to do something. 
Maybe, maybe we need to go back to the way it was, the old covenant, the old, you know, the, the sacrificial system. Maybe it's because we haven't done it right. Maybe God's mad at us. That doesn't mean there's not judgment. That doesn't mean that, 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 that we can just live how we want to live. But the writer's making very clear, no, 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 no. That's dead works. That's just you taking the place of God and saying, I'm going to bring my sacrifice to you. Remember, we talked about last week, this is the, the end of religion. Jesus is the end of all religion. No more altars, no more sacrifice. That's why in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse, verse 3, we, we went through this weeks and weeks and weeks ago. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact um, imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, what does he do? He sat down at the right hand of majesty on High. What does chapter 8 say? Now the point in what we are saying is that we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up. Not Man, Jesus sat at the right hand of God after purifying sins. Why? Because it's the end of religion. This is not a repeatable event. It's completed. There's nothing you and I can do. There's nothing that we can add to it. It is finished. There's a doneness, a completeness to it. Notice what it says in chapter 9, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It's a once and for all sacrifice. It's been done. His second coming, his second work is, is to redeem and restore the whole cosmos, including you and me. So it's not a repeatable thing. It doesn't need to be done again. Now, you may say, okay, that, that's obvious. What does that, that mean for me? Well, um, I've read this in different places. One, one of my uh, favorite British pastors uh, from years ago, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, he, he was a, a pastor and uh, experienced some, some interesting times during World War I and World War II. Uh, I think he died in, in 80 or, or something. So he was a long time ago. But people used to come up to him, and he would talk with them, and uh, he would say, are you a Christian? He would just ask him a question. Are you a Christian? And common, what he would hear, the, re- the response would be, I'm trying. And he'd almost without hesitation say, well, you're not a Christian yet. Now, to our ears, we say, okay, well, what is that? I mean, we're just playing word games here. But think about what, what we're saying. There's no trying. We don't, we don't try to be a Christian. We are a Christian because of what Christ has done for us. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong, with, there's nothing wrong with, with a life of obedience, obviously, but it's not about trying. It's not earning something or, 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 or if I just live a good enough life then maybe God will accept me or throw me a, a heaven bone or whatever it is, right? It, 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 there is no trying. This is not how this works. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on in this church at this time. Well, maybe we, we have to do something. Maybe we have to balance the scales. Why, why are we getting persecuted like this? Why are things not going the right way? If we're trying, we don't understand the gospel yet. Dallas Willard, a, a Christian uh, pastor and philosopher, uh, passed away a few years ago, but he said, you know, it's, it's really not trying, it's training to follow Jesus. It's learning how to, it's not about what we do. He says grace is opposed to earning, not effort. <laughs> There's an effort element, but it's not earning. It's not doing so that God's happy with us. But it's living in such a way because of what Christ has already accomplished for us. So this is an unrepeatable 
thing. And, and, and I'll just say this because I can, because I have the microphone. Uh, I don't think, uh, and this is not a rant on social media, but I don't think it's helping our souls. Can I just say that? Uh, they're starting to do studies where more suicide, um, more depression. Why? Well, obvious reasons, because you look at Instagram, it's like, well, geez, everyone has a perfect family except me, obviously. Everyone's house is nicer than mine, than mine obviously. <laughs> everyone's more successful than me, obviously, and everyone has a lot better quotes than I do, so, I mean, they're obviously living their best life now. And so if we, we constantly see those things, right? Every marketing campaign, every ad is saying this, your life is incomplete. You don't have it yet. This is what you need. Fill in the blank, right? More money, more power, more success, certain clothes. You, got, you don't have the right diet, obviously. You don't have the right workout plan, obviously. Well, you wouldn't, you'd, if you had the right workout and did keto, you obviously wouldn't get sick all the time. Silly person. Because I read a blog and I would get on the internet and it's obviously true. That's the only diet that should exist. Right? So, so, so what happens is, what, what happens though? We sacrifice to this thing. Maybe this thing will give me what I've so longed for in my heart and my soul. It's just a modern version of sacrifice. Maybe I can feel a little bit better about myself. Maybe I can balance the guilt scales. Right? Most of us don't think of it those. So we just say it's harmless, right? But if that's a steady diet, right, we start believing those things that we're not enough. There's not a, enoughness to go around, right? But in Christ, he says, you are enough because I, I secured, I love you, I've forgiven you, I died for you. You are enough. It doesn't matter if you don't have the right dad. It doesn't matter if you don't have the right clothes. It doesn't matter if you're not in the know or you don't travel to a mountain to take a selfie on top of a mountain. It doesn't matter. Everything that you need, everything that you are is found right in me. And that's the piano that Hebrews is just going to continue to hit. Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. Don't think your little puny sacrifice is going to be sufficient. Don't live there. There's so much freedom and grace and rest and, 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 and joy to be found in knowing that everything we need, everything that we are is found in Christ, which leads us to an unimaginable cost and depth, as you've probably heard through this sermon the thing about blood is that we're all dependent on it. I don't know if you know that. Um, I'm not a doctor. Um, I just play one on TV. Uh, but we all need blood to live, right? It's our, it's our life source. You take away blood. Um, I always find it fascinating. I'm kind of a history geek. Um, if you go study like uh, ways that they tried to deal with um, ailments and sickness, and, and especially during the Western times, you can even see these in movies, where they would just do like, well, he just needs a blood transfusion. And that'll, that'll get the demon out, right? So everything was, was about blood and purifying the blood and, and all that kind of stuff. But all of us are dependent on this life source called blood. And you know this? All of us, every human that will ever be, has a sacrifice of blood when they're born. Anybody seen a baby born? It's just a nice, clean environment, Right? Nothing happening, right? It's awful. Um, I, it's, I was not prepared for that. Now, I watched the video in junior high. Uh, you remember this video? Well, I'm old enough, so it's very outdated, and it just terrified me, and I just I stood up and said, well, hey, I'm not having kids, so thank you. Um, but they, they showed a birth, right? Um, it's, there's a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of blood. All of us came into the world with the sacrifice of blood. You wouldn't exist without a sacrifice of blood. It's why in Leviticus 17, God talks about the commands to Israel to not eat or drink blood because it's this life source. 
there was a sacrifice that needed to be made on behalf of the people but it was to happen with the animals not them they weren't to drink the blood they weren't to to do that because that's the life source and, and w w what gives us wholeness and, and wellness but but you're supposed to do this in a different way someone from outside has to sacrifice their own blood but also with blood it also stains right we have uh, three boys and a girl so we've seen a lot of blood in our 12 years of, of parenting um, and it stains. If, you, if you're a nurse or you're a doctor, if you, right, it doesn't come out very easily. And what's interesting about the scriptures is that blood and sin are always seem to be tied together about this deep stain that we can't seem uh, to get out. Isaiah 1, uh, 18. I don't think I marked that. Uh, Isaiah 1, 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the lamb. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The, the, the sin and blood, it's a stain. This, it goes deeper than, it's not something we can just scrub out with the right Clorox uh, concoction or cleaning supply. It's what's wrong with us. It's what's wrong with the universe. Things are bent and broken and don't function as they, they should. Psalm, the psalmist says in Psalm 51, if I can find it. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my transgressions. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me from a willing spirit. King David wrote those words. If anyone knows sin, King David knew sin really well. It was a close companion. Murderer, adulterer. Here he comes. Honestly, he knows that there's something deeper that has stained him, that has wounded him, and it's not going to get out by him just praying harder or making another sacrifice. He says the sacrifices, even David said himself, that the Lord desires is a contrite spirit. A broken heart and a contrite spirit. That's a heart that God will not despise. So there's an unimaginable cost and depth to this once and for all sacrifice of Christ shedding his blood on the cross for us. Now go back to Hebrews. Hebrews 10, verse 5. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There's a lot there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But what he's doing is he's quoting Psalm uh, 40. And he's, he, he's reminding the people that there were was, there was sacrifices and offerings that were supposed to be made. It was, it was commanded in the Old Testament. But at the heart of the sacrifice was never about the sacrifice. It was about obedience. It was always about obedience. It was about a relationship with God. It was, it was never just about the act of laying this animal down and sacrifice. It was about a person who walks with God. 
It, it was kind of a test of where's your heart? Do you love me? Do you want to follow me? Do you want to obey me? And the sacrifice was a pointer to that. But that's why God was always upset because he's like, you guys bring me these lame sacrifices. You know, I, I said I need a pure spotless lamb and you bring me these kind of wounded things. You don't love the poor, right? It was always about obedience. It was about relationship. Now, who was the one who fulfilled that perfect relationship? Who was the one who was obedient in every way? Who was the one that fulfilled that covenant in every way? What the, Hebrew, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is Christ. He was the one who obeyed purely and freely and lovingly without sin because none of us could. None of us, not on our best days. And yet Christ goes before us to say it was his will that he would be the, the perfect sacrifice because he was sinless in every way. He was obedient in every way. He was tempted, as, as Hebrews will get to that later, he was tempted in every way, just like you and me. And that's why I love God, because he understands my temptations, he understands my weaknesses, yet he was without sin. There's an unimaginable cost and depth to Jesus' sacrifice. Even Paul in Acts 20 says that the church was purchased by the, the blood of Jesus. When Paul's standing before the Ephesian elders and he's, he's kind of giving them their commission before he sails away, he says, I want to remind you that the church itself was purchased by a sacrifice and in an, in an unimaginable cost and depth to you that Jesus Christ himself laid his life down so that you could even be his people and be his people from now and into all of eternity. That's who we are. We're cross people. We're cruciform people. We're shaped by the bloody, messy sacrifice of Jesus. I know we don't like that in our modern era. Eh, but that's how it had to be. If we know how deep the sin goes, if we know how deep the stain is, it makes total sense. If we see how out of whack the world is, it makes total sense. Jesus wasn't bringing more evil into the world. He was coming to, to heal and restore and forgive that evil and to, to offer a way for there to be ultimate healing and salvation. He wasn't adding to the noise. He was dying for his enemies. He was dying for sin. He was dying for us, even as we sang that this morning. Unimaginable cost and death. Now, I know when we, we think of, uh, kind of going back to our quote, the way I started the message, atheist, it says, you know, why can't Jesus just forgive or God just forgive? But uh, I've really found this really helpful. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, he was a, a martyr uh, during World War II Nazi Germany who died for the, really the cause of Christ and, and tried to take down uh, Hitler. But um, he talks about forgiveness always requires suffering and sacrifice. I, I find that's a really helpful idea because he says if, if someone wrongs you, that person you know, has to pay that debt, that wrong, right? Somehow... Some, some way. That, that, that has to be paid. If somebody does something, maybe somebody you know, steals your car, breaks your lamp, whatever it is, or, or just hurts you in some way, there still needs to be a debt that needs to be paid. And, and a lot of times we don't think about forgiveness costs us. I mean, can't God just forgive? I mean, we do wrong. Why can't he just forgive? But it costs someone something. And he says, if you don't want to forgive that person, if you want to carry around bitterness and, and, and judgment and anger, right? You're suffering in the process too, right? Anybody ever been there? Too honest? 
So when my, my mother, uh, when my parents got divorced, she kind of bailed on me, and I carried a lot, uh, around a lot of bitterness and, and anger toward her until I was able to really forgive her. So, so I thought I was in the right because, God, you don't understand. Look what she's done to me. But I was just as bad because I wanted terrible things to happen to her. So I'm suffering and dying just as much as she is. In forgiveness, there's always a sacrifice. There's always suffering. Until I could lay that down, it's not helping me at all. A lot of us are bitter because there's people that have wounded us and we haven't laid it down. We haven't forgiven them. But you don't understand what they've done. I, well, I might not, and that, I'm not the point, but, but God does. And, and, and if we understand the cross and we understand this once and for all sacrifice that Jesus forgave us, his enemies, we should constantly be forgiving. If we understand the weight and the depth and the cost of what Jesus did for us, then we should constantly be forgiving, constantly saying, hey, I know you don't deserve it, but I don't deserve grace either. Here it is. Because in forgiveness, it always costs someone something. Forgiveness always requires a sacrifice and suffering. But what's amazing about Jesus is that he suffers and he dies to forgive and heal us and save us so that we don't have to. So that we don't have to. He took our judgment day. The wrath of God fell on the Son of God. That even God had to turn away from Jesus' death on the cross for a moment. I mentioned this last week. I, I can't imagine. I have three sons. I can't imagine. Here, God, here's my, my only begotten son. I mean, you love those kids with all your being. Imagine God of heaven and earth saying, here you go. Here he is. For us. For us. There's a huge cost. And I don't, I don't think until you and I feel the weight of that, the gospel of grace, the gospel of mercy is going to change us from the inside out. It just won't. Because we'll just say we think we're still good people. We're thinking, oh, well, that's just unnecessary, right? Until it sits on us heavy, it will change us from the inside out. We'll realize that all of life is grace. And we'll extend grace and we'll extend forgiveness because we see what God has done for us that we're just trophies of God's, God's grace. Lastly, there's also a transforming effect. Transforming effect. I, I didn't read this, this text, but if you jump up to 10, 14, notice the way this little section ends. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Really interesting text. We could spend a lot of time here, but he says that we have been in verse 14, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So it's not only the death of Jesus on the cross secures our salvation, our, our, our rightness before him justifies us by faith, but also secures our sanctification, our progressively becoming more holy and like the Son of God. Isn't that an interesting text? That this once and for all sacrifice isn't just to, to secure our, our redemption, to, to allow us to be in heaven one day, to, to be part of the new heavens and the earth, but also in this lifetime, it's also promising that you and I will be progressively made more and more into the image of Christ in this life and the next. Are you with me? 
to, to, to be the people that God has called us to be. And he's going to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, as it says. He's going to actually write on our hearts and on our laws. That's the new covenant that we're going to actually want to desire to follow God, to love God with all our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, imperfectly, amen, half-heartedly often, but what's so amazing is what he's saying here is that positionally, we're already perfected. In Christ, you are already a saint. You are already a new creation, positionally. As you stand before God right now, as you are right now, even with your sin and, and even in the ways you've, you've fallen short, even this morning, positionally, you are God's children. You are a new creation. You are made in His image. That is not going away. Why? Because of the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. Objectively, historically, by faith, you are perfect in every way. Now, Subjectively, day to day, we still have some sin residue. But the good news is that God has given us the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit that is weakening, the, that is weakening the, those sinful desires, those affections that don't align with God's kingdom and God's commands and God's ways. He doesn't leave us alone to say, hey, good luck. <laughs> he gives us the power of his spirit. He gives us the words so that we can walk in his ways and desire to walk in his ways. We're going to fall short, yes. But you know how it's good news is that when you sin and when you screw up is that you can look to him and go, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace because I'm a new creation. I'm a saint. Why? Because Jesus has already gone ahead into heaven and that he's already secured that for me by this one bloody uh, death on the cross that even when I feel like I'm just not measuring up and even I feel like I've been doing this, Lord, for 25 years, I feel like I should be a little bit further along instead of looking at your feelings, instead of looking at how you feel today as we look to the cross and we look to Jesus by faith and he says, you're mine, you belong to me, your, my, your righteousness is my righteousness by faith. That's a serious implication. And it also changes how we minister to one another and how we love one another and how we're patient with one another because guess what? All of us are going to screw up. You'll probably screw up before you even leave this place this, this morning. But we look to him and say, but you know what? We have a Savior who's gone before us in the heavens. And his sacrifice is sufficient. And it's done. It's completed. And there's forgiveness to be had. And there's life to be had. So every day I'm looking by faith, not feelings. I'm not, you know, and there's going to be strong feelings. There's going to be great affections of joy for the Lord. But sometimes those, those wane a little bit. And we go like, where are they? And the writer of Hebrews would even encourage us to, to repent even of our dead works. That's what he talks about in 9.14. The ways in which we try to be righteous before God. That's really just what Pharisees were about. It's by my external things, my religious activities that God makes, that, that I'm a good person by my behavior, by my religious activities. We need to repent even of our good deeds that we think make us right with God. And repent of the ways, sins of commission and omission, the ways we don't do what God has called us to. Repent of those as well. They can be just as deadly. Both of those can be just as deadly. And guess what? Both of those need Jesus. It's the same solution. The author and perfecter of our faith. The once and for all sacrifice. Eternal God who came from the heavens. Whose blood is sufficient. Who cleanses our conscience who takes our sin and forgives it as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. He calls us his children. He calls us new creations. He calls us saints. 
And now day to day as we follow him, we are free to serve him and love him and worship him because there's nothing that you and I need to do to secure his love or affection because it's been completed because he sat at the right hand of God and said, it is finished. That's really good news, my friends. This morning, I came with fear and trepidation, knowing that sometimes a message like this is just kind of like nod, nod, nod. And my prayer for us, and my prayer for my own soul and my family is constantly this, don't ever get bored of the gospel. I pray that for you often. It's so easy. Say, ah, isn't there deeper stuff we need to move on to? Not according to Hebrews. I think there's just more depths we need to go into. In him what's been accomplished for him. And I pray that even in fresh ways, new ways, it would, it would just settle on us in, 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 in new ways. It would just re- awaken us to more joy in him and, and to, to the realities that maybe we just feel the sense of guilt or shame about something. Or we feel like, you know, I'm just not doing anything or whatever it is, but that we could rest this morning in the gospel to know that God is for us and not against us. And so every week we have this visual to remind us of that, the, the bread and the cup. We do communion every week. The broken body of Christ represented by the bread, the, the blood that was shed that we just talked about for 40 minutes uh, represented by the cup. That If you are a believer in Christ, you have the full remission of sins. That we come this morning not as a dead memorial, not a, not a way to say, well, Jesus is in the grave, but to celebrate a risen Savior that has accomplished and secured for us what we couldn't secure for ourselves. Salvation, relationship, forgiveness, hope in him. And so if you are a believer, please come and celebrate with us the way we take communion. Two lines in the front, break off the bread, dip it in the cup. If you need uh, gluten-free, allergy-free bread, there's some in the middle there, feel free to take that. If you're not a believer in Christ, if all this blood and guts talk and cross talk is, is kind of weird and, 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 and strange to you, but you know what, I believe you're here for a reason this morning. If you want to talk more about that, I'd love to chat with you or chat with one of the elders if you want to chat with one of them. Just talk more of what this means and the implications of that. Um, we've all been there. So please, please don't miss out on that, that opportunity. So with that, let us pray. Father, I know I didn't do justice this morning to such a heavy, weighty, profound, gracious, merciful, amazing, beautiful text this morning. But the one thing I hope that that's, gets seared in our hearts and in our souls this morning is that Jesus has died and he doesn't need to die again, that he's living, he's reigning, he's ruling, that we don't need to sacrifice ourselves with good deeds or behavior or whatever it may be to appease you, to make you happy. But the gospel tells us that we love you because you loved us first. Religion says, I do these things that maybe God will bless me, but you say, I love you, I've done this for you. And we respond in worship and gratitude. So help us believe that. Help us walk in that. Help us see the difference of that so now we can be free to serve freely, serve our neighbors, serve you, wherever people are found, wherever we are found, in our work this week, in our homes, wherever we are found, God, that we would serve the living God, knowing that this once and for all sacrifice is really good news. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and celebrate the supper with us.